welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. I'm Keith Monahan. I'm Dane Miller. And we're here to show you how to build a career in web dev. You can find us online at starthere.fm. Good evening, Dane. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I am doing great. Good to hear. I am curious if you've ever heard of the website ACO.net. No. What is it? It is, um, well, for it's ACKO.net, and it's basically this guy who um, does these math-type math uh, articles based on around web development, and he focuses a little bit more on, like, the math side of things, but his stuff is just fantastic. That is so cool. That oh, you intro. like the homepage? Yeah. That intro is crazy. Dude, Steve, that... Steven Wittens. Steven Wittens. Great. That's who does this? Yeah. He has a few presentations, too, so, like, if you click around, you'll find him talking about some of his projects, like math. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a bunch of really forward-thinking projects, and he's contributor to, a, to some of them. Uh, I, I love his stuff. I, I thought it was pretty cool. Huh. That is crazy. That's got to be Canvas, right? HTML5 Canvas? Yeah, I think so. It, so well, it certainly is. Yeah. Okay, so it's like this really f- cool like ribbon that's flying around the page and inter- intertwining with other kind of like 3D ribbons and stuff. And that is just cool. I mean, it reminds me of an old Windows screensaver. You used to do like the tubes and stuff. Yeah, I remember that one. That's fun. I love this kind of stuff where they're using some of these newer technologies. Yeah, and I mean, I I think one thing that makes it really interesting about this type of stuff is how forward thinking it is. The weird thing is like a lot of people don't like the math side of web development. Right. And that's totally understandable. I, I'm the same way in a, in a sense. But I do like to look at this sort of stuff because it's it's forward thinking in a different way. It's not like building products. It's not building companies. It is instead looking at how like you can use JavaScript to implement, for instance, on ACMJ, ASMJS, uh, how you can use JavaScript to implement a 3D world that you mm-hmm. could then create a first-person shooter or something like that, right? So oh, yeah. that sort of interesting aspect of web technology. Like, yeah, you can do that in WebGL or you could do mm-hmm. that in like Flash or, or whatever, but but this is specifically focused on JavaScript usually and HTML and CSS, which is cool. <laughs> the web is becoming so much more powerful. This is exciting. Why do you think it matters to build a first-person shooter in JavaScript, HTML, and CSS because we have first-person shooters in Flash, mm-hmm. in you know the Unreal Engine on Xbox. It just it like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what language we make these advances in. Let's just pick that one spot and let's keep going. So like if we're gonna make the advances mm-hmm. in C and we're gonna build like some kind of graphic rendering engine based on that language, then we should keep going and going and going. And they are, but. Why does it matter to keep porting this type of thing over to other languages? I know, right? It well, it's the reason behind pushing for for this kind of thing on the web is that browsers are ubiquitous, right? Pretty much anything can run a browser these days, and so yeah, the, I, I think the the ideal is that you can build it for the web and then it runs everywhere. Right, and but I mean, it's interesting because you see stuff like this JavaScript, like um first person shooter engine built on built in javascript you see like mm-hmm. databases built in javascript all these like weird things that we would normally do in c or c++ or mm-hmm. something else are trying to be done in javascript and part of me 
asks, why does it matter? Why are we trying to so, like we're trying so hard every year to push JavaScript to its absolute breaking point? Mm -hmm. And then the question is why? And I think to me, the answer is, people are curious and they're trying to figure out what the edge is because people just like to reach for the edge of things. But then also Mm -hmm. I think there is this aspect of it that's like, if you do that, maybe we can build better things, more immersive experiences. And it sucks that we can't just create a new language and it's better than JavaScript and it's more interesting and it's more applicable to 3D like rendering and stuff but Mm. it's like they're they're having to do this with javascript because it's the it's the ubiquitous language and maybe you know we will get a better ui from all this yeah it's an interesting interesting topic about the web languages that we have now and like what they can do and where they're where they're going to be it's fun I haven't ever, I haven't looked into what it would take to you know build something like that It's, it's challenging yeah well i can imagine so this, this episode is the introduction to a career in web development, and we wanted to provide you with a good overview about the web dev as a career and what that would look like for you. In episode one, we talked about reasons why you might want to become a web developer, and so we won't really get into that too much. But today we'll talk about things like making sure you're tapped into the industry as far as keeping track of trends, what interviews might look like specific to the industry, what it's like coding all day, and how to advance your career and some other fun stuff as well. This episode is the introduction to our career category on the roadmap. We'll be delving into more of these topics in depth in future stages and future episodes. We'd like you to think about what questions you have about the industry. And if we don't answer those today, please let us know on the show page, which is starthere.fm slash webdev slash seven. Now, we had some comments and some reviews, and we really appreciate those. We wanted to read a few of them for you. Uh, On the website, Aaron Knapp said, I've been diligently following along with your podcasts and wanted to say thank you. You guys are so fantastic for doing this and have really saved my career path from faltering. After years of college and three degrees, I finally realized what I really want to do when I grow up, and that's web development. I was pretty much flustered and lost until I found this site through a subreddit on programming. Keep up the good work, and I will keep at my learning. Thanks so much. And so just thank you, Aaron. We're glad that you're finding value uh, in the podcast, and we're going to keep going. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, totally. Um, And then we had an iTunes review that we wanted to uh, shout out to here. Um, but first, we should mention that we completely forgot to check <laughs> our reviews for like the past month or two, or three, uh, or four. We Pretty basically just assumed, yeah. yeah, we assumed that nobody had left any reviews. We forgot to look. We we figured, you know, hey, yeah. we'll get a notification or something, but that's not how iTunes works. Right. And then I assumed we just wouldn't have any. But it actually is uh, the case that we have a couple here. And then one of them was... Um, written after we asked for reviews on the last episode so we definitely want to thank Deshaun 496 uh and read his review he says they take you through step by step of on all the topics relevant to building your website with suggested tutorials and other resources to go in hand with topics discussed if you are serious about learning from scratch i highly suggest subscribing thanks guys and uh, thanks, Deshaun, for that. That's really awesome. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It helps other people find our, our show. We, we like that. For sure. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, yeah, if you have questions or if you want to leave a comment, please go to the website or go to iTunes and uh, let us know. Well, one of the things about being a web developer 
and being in the industry is kind of knowing what's going on in the industry. And so knowing trends and knowing the, the tech news, it's part of the culture. I mean, there's a lot of different a lot of different avenues to receive that information. Dane, what are some ways that you stay tapped into the industry? So I stay actually, I, I only subscribe to three newsletters, one for HTML5, one for JavaScript, and one for Ruby on Rails. Mm-hmm. Those are my main areas of focus. Okay. And then um, I think the HTML5 one touches on CSS three as well. Mm-hmm. And then basically I, they will send those once a week and it's a really good source. And I'll basically just read those and read the latest, you know, I'll skim them. I, I often won't read everything on them. I'll just read what's interesting, but it just helps me stay informed as to what the hottest articles are, like what everybody in the industry is talking about. Cause there's a couple aspects of staying tapped in. Like there's the aspect of like knowing the pulse. So you have to know what's like on the, like the current heartbeat of the industry. Like mm-hmm. what is that thing that everybody's debating about this week? Sometimes it's good to know that at least it's good to know what it is. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know deeply on the topic. Um, and then also, uh, I definitely follow some people on Twitter mm-hmm. as well. Okay. That's interesting. When I first started, I consumed so much tech news, so much right. stuff about the industry. And I've you know, read all of the, the news sites and followed tons of people. But since then, I, I think that I've gone through this natural process where I've cut that down. And so, there, yeah, there's like a few sources that I, I get news from. Did you did you have a similar experience? Did you start just totally wide open like a sponge? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I started, I was like watching every Railscast video in every Ruby on Rails forum, like in the IRC mm-hmm. for like Ruby on Rails, Node.js, JavaScript, pretty much anything I could think of, mainly because I had questions, but also just because you know, I wanted to see what they were talking about mm-hmm. in a way. And Stack Overflow also is really good for this in a, in a weird way because they will often comment on answers and the comments might be, oh, this answer is out of date now. Look at this, mm-hmm. you know, or something. So you, you'll get a very respectable crowd yeah. out of that as well. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I came across that just yesterday, actually. I was looking at Grayscale in CSS and it turns out that um, there was there, uh, it was actually an answer on Stack Overflow. It's like, oh, this works great. And then later on, they're like, well, Microsoft actually dropped support for this particular grayscale CSS feature in version ten and eleven, which is so weird that they would they would do that. I still don't understand why. But staying tapped into the industry at this point in your journey, we think that you know you should just be a sponge, right? Read mm-hmm. in your spare time, read you know everything you can about the industry and. You can, I mean, there's a ton of information out there, right? I would only limit the amount that you read or consume by, I mean, if you're creating something at least every day or mm-hmm. working on something or researching or building your skill set, then I think you're totally good to read and consume as much as you want up until the limits of your curiosity yeah, and, in, in web development or mm-hmm. whatever. And time time constraints, right? I mean, we don't want you to yeah, be obsessed yeah, with time. this. You need to have some some sort of a life outside of outside of this. Um, yeah, you know, when I started, I had a I had a job, and so I was learning on the side, and I was in a place where I could I could like be on the internet, I could read, and so I spent just the first chunk of my time um, just reading reading articles, reading about the industry, and that helped a ton. Just becoming familiar with terminology and and trends and stuff like that. And it helped me, it helped me to know where to focus because I started to understand the different aspects of web development and like what I might want to do. 
So so that was mm-hmm. good. Be a sponge. So I, I use Twitter primarily to receive this information. And so I follow a few, just a few people now. One of the news sources I follow is, is Recode. And so that's at Recode. That is relatively new. That's Walt Mossberg from the Wall Street Journal. So he used to do the tech the tech stuff for the Wall Street Journal. So he he went off and, and started this thing, and his his reviews are fantastic. Um, who else was with him when, when they created Kara it? Swisher. Kara Swisher, okay, yeah. So that's a fantastic resource. I follow them. I also follow Medium, and they don't necessarily, and that's, that's at Medium, and they don't necessarily talk just about tech news. Do you have some favorites that you follow on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, I think the ones that have always been important to me are people like Paul Irish, developer mm. advocate at Google, really forward-thinking kind of guy. Jeffrey Zeldman, uh, founder of Happy Cog, does a lot of book apart stuff. Mm. Sort of the godfather of of a lot of modern web stuff that you see. And in, in um, I know that's really broad. And then I, I really like Dan Cederholm, co-founded Dribble, and he does uh, simple bits. Mm. I believe also. Um, and then Eric Meyer, who's one of my favorite CSS people. Uh, Chris Coye, too, from CSS. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? CSS Tricks. Yeah. Uh, gr- amazing guy and an amazing site. Um, but Eric also, because he wrote those uh, CSS Bibles, and I, I have a few. I think they're great um, if you're interested in getting them. And all those links will be actually on our show notes page. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, I, I think I'd like to mention a book apart. I have kind of followed what they've been doing and have read about some of their books. I've never purchased them, but it seems like that's a fantastic resource. Dean, have you read much of their books? Yeah, I love their books. I, I've read the HTML5, CSS3 books, Designing for Emotion book, mm. and I think they have one that's on sales, but I may be thinking of a different resource for that one. But uh, those three, I know I've read and I've really enjoyed them. They have a a selection of other books that they're they're most, they're still building out their book selection too. Mm -hmm. And Dan Cedarholm actually wrote some of these books. And, and um, so they're, they're absolutely fantastic. He's an amazing writer and he's an absolutely incredible web designer. Um, So, so that's really cool. Cool. So you don't necessarily need to purchase you know, we don't we don't think you have to spend much of any money to learn web development. But if you wanted to have some resources at hand, some books, and to they go look through. cool, yeah. they look cool as also. Yeah, yeah, their designs are pretty sweet. So these are, these are some good books that we'd recommend if you want to go that route. So staying tapped into the industry is really important. So we also wanted to talk about how it might be different to interview for a position in web development compared to other industries. Yeah, totally. Um, I think web development, um, interviewing for web development programming or designer jobs are very different, but they're very solidified. So at this point, I can roughly say with my own personal experience that most of those interviews are going to be relatively formulaic. And we can provide you a general outline of the things that they will ask on and simply these are the things that you kind of want to keep an eye out for in your career as Mm -hmm. you go. Like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be asked about that a lot. Let me just really dig into it. And you're asked about it sometimes for good reason. Sometimes just because 
they're following this formula, right? Yeah. So it's interesting. Sometimes the people doing the interviews aren't technical. Right. Sometimes these are questions they have been told to ask. But we don't think that you should necessarily just research this stuff to be able to answer questions in interviews. Like, I mean, there's a reason they ask it. They want to make sure you know it. And so these are things that are important to employers. I mean, so what are some of the things? At least in my some of my interviews, you know, I was asked about my previous job, like, why, why am I leaving and that kind of stuff? But yeah. then also about what projects I've worked on. So if yeah. I had, if I don't have any paid projects like freelance type stuff, the personal projects that I had done came in incredibly handy, right? I wouldn't have gotten an interview probably if I hadn't done some of those projects. And so they asked about, hey. yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say a little tip is to tell them about and to work on open source projects that are very large in nature work on them in such a way that it's obvious that you are a very good member of a team because they obviously the one of the big things like oh, how are you going to do on a team yeah mm -hmm. you're a freelancer you're coming to this company or you've never been in a web development agency before either way the the trick is in their minds when they see that you're an open source guy they either think that you're a complete rogue or you're actually a great developer and a great team member there would probably be some technical questions too what kind of what kind of technical questions have you been asked about, Dane? So these are topics that I think you should be aware of. I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this show, you're probably not going to take a computer science class, but you're going to be asked about and you're going to be expected to know a large range of technical things, whether it's a front end job or a back end job, those mm -hmm. differ. So for instance, for a back end job, uh, you know, which means Python, Java, you know, any kind of back end server side language or data science based uh, thing, they're going to ask you about data structures. So you need to formally know the names of most data structures. Mm -hmm. Very simple. And then they're going to ask you about how to manipulate data structures. Mm. So sometimes that's sorting algorithms and it, it, you know, there's very basic general algorithms that are very simple. So like top five, right. Mm -hmm. And they may not be asked specifically to write the algorithm, right. Like maybe they, maybe they would be asked to like verbally process the steps involved. Right. I mean, there's many different types of coding interviews. I mean, a lot of them at the bigger companies do, expect you right. to write and they expect you to write on a whiteboard, mm -hmm. which is a tactic mm -hmm. that they use to throw you off such that they, they know that you're critically thinking and that you're not just mindlessly writing text that you remember. Cause like when you're at your computer, sometimes you just do that. You're just like, Oh, this is how to do a B tree or something. And you're like, Oh, this is how to do binary search. And it's just like something my fingers know. I don't really have to think about it. But then when you're at the whiteboard, you actually have to think about it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that sort of stuff. And then just like some basic algorithm stuff. And then I would really recommend to really think through what the most difficult and challenging thing is that you faced. Cause usually they'll ask that as well. Mm -hmm. They'll ask, what is the most challenging thing that you faced in your career and what, and how have you overcome it? Mm -hmm. And they aren't really asking like, you know, when you were 13 and like broke your arm, they don't care about that or whatever. Like they care about like what programming thing have you faced that is still a problem or an unsolved issue in the industry that you've used a creative way to overcome it. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're not, they don't care about any problems that have already been solved 10 years ago. So it's like, oh, you know, I had a really hard time implementing this like CSS3 property. Like, no, they don't care about that. They, they, you have to answer these questions in such a way that 
that they want the answers to be. Mm -hmm. There's definitely different types of interviews and there's a whole gamut of of questions and interviewers based on what type of company you're going to work for. Somebody like Microsoft and Google and Apple, and they're going to have um, a much more formalized interviewing process than maybe a small agency or, or a small company that has an in-house product or something like that. And so it could be very, very different based on what kind of company you're looking to, to work at. But in general, those are some basics, data structures, you know, basic algorithms, that kind of stuff. We'll provide some links in the resources that will take you to the uh, MIT OpenCourseWare, where they have some fantastic free classes, basically, about some of these things. Yep. So that's kind of a little bit about an interview for the back end. On the front end, you might get asked questions about getting it, like, so receiving information from the server and, like, presenting that, um, how you might go about doing that in a specific situation, or how to prepare and send data back to the server. Those are some things to think about. Any other thoughts on interviews, Dane? I just would emphasize critical thinking. Mm-hmm. So to constantly be utilizing critical thinking in your career and and really trying to refine your own critical thinking skills. And then also we'll have some more topics on like later on in the episode mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about how to advance your career. Yeah. Well, and in future episodes, we'll talk about, I mean, maybe we'll have an entire episode about the interview process. And Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it's definitely important to know your stuff as far as the language that you might be learning and the environment that you'll be working in. But it's also important to oh yeah, most, if not all employers, that you're just a well-rounded person. You can talk about yourself in ways that help them know who you are. You know, so you can give some examples about stuff that you do, you know, with other coworkers or to relax or I guess stuff that that lets them know you're a, yeah, a team player and in general you have other interests and things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, that was interviews. What should you expect in your career? Like, Dane, what's it like coding all day? Do you code all day? Like, what does that look like? What's uh, kind of a day in the life of? I think for me, it's changed quite a bit. So I used to do a lot of coding all day, and I still do a lot of coding. And, and when I was at the at a digital agency, I definitely did nonstop coding mm-hmm. all day, every day. And I think... That was really fun. I really enjoyed it. I, I honestly kind of like working at a digital agency mm. if I'm going to be coding only because they will serve you up insanely different mm. projects. Like that's the whole point of an agency is you'll have a uh, project for Major League Baseball and then NFL and then Hallmark. You know what I mean? Mm. Like all these very cool idea, and then they're all promotions or like build us a game in JavaScript so that we can put it on our Valentine <laughs> site for the promotion. You know, all that sort of stuff is really fun. It's really like a great way to stay on top of everything because it makes you, it forces you to really know your stuff. So when I was coding all day, I definitely loved that mm-hmm. job. But now, but you know, now I have I have more uh, things to worry about, so I, I do a little bit mm-hmm. less coding. Yeah, that's interesting. I, hmm, yeah, I don't do as much coding hour by hour, day by day as I thought I would. Yeah, there's just more administrative type stuff. I've talked about it before, but do you think that's because maybe you are? Um, I mean, so you're doing less less coding. Do you think that's because maybe your is it because your job description has changed or because you don't like coding as much? No, I really enjoy coding. Um, and my job is the only programmer at mm. this company. So I still have a lot of coding you know, that I have to do every week and, and every day. The, the nature of the goals that I had 
personally were to grow to the to a level of of responsibility that vastly you know outweighed just coding so there's more you know responsibilities as far as like various um you know projects and things going on within the organization that you know i may be leading or on the team of that i need to devote Mm. time to right and then you have meetings and just email is is ridiculous you know it takes so Mm. much time all all that put to and also i work remote that adds to like the necessity for email a little yeah. bit so it makes it more challenging i don't know a lot a lot of that stuff interesting so do you ever uh so do you ever get to go into the office or are you totally remote yeah i go to the office uh, like once every two weeks oh nice okay mm-hmm. that's cool yeah it is super nice working in the same office with with the whole team like i mean my my desk is right next to the designer, so if I like you know, have a question about you know this particular part of the website, I can just look over my shoulder. Hey, what, what do you think about this? What should we do here? So yeah, that, that's I, cool. I, I mean, I agree with you. I like the office aspect. I think for other reasons, like because it's fun. But yeah, after like three and a half years of, of like nonstop office jobs of, of different types, I'm just so stoked to work remote you know like i do it's just so awesome what what's appealing about it to you the ability to wake up and immediately walk over and just start coding on something that's on my mind because like i'm one of those really weird people where i have like very specific parts of the day that my flow mm. maxim maximizes at and one of those is 7 30 a.m to like 11 a.m mm-hmm. That's like my peak mental performance hour. So literally, I if I don't, you know, usually I wake up well before that. But like if I don't, then I pretty much have to go straight into something really, really challenging. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't, then I just wasted it. Like I, I just wasted all my mentor, mental energy. Mm-hmm. And if I just spend 7.30 to 11 on email or something, which I could, it's like what a waste, right? At 4 p.m., I'm going to be like struggling to do this really complicated task maybe a programming task or something and and it's like it basically almost like can't happen Hmm. you know it's like one of those weird things i think everybody has different parts of the day that they really excel yeah that is interesting so that that's definitely something that's important to do is kind of understand yourself and understand the times of day and how you best perform and then also like the thing about going to an office for me, imagine having seven thirty to 11 be your key primary time. Mm-hmm. And then imagine this, you wake up, you get ready, you go get coffee for the first time, you know, then you get ready, then you get your stuff together, then you leave, you commute, then you go get coffee again. You walk into the office, say, Hey to everybody. You kind of get everything together. You sit down, you drink your coffee. Then you maybe go to the kitchen. Then you come back, then you're ready to, to work. Mm-hmm. It's like by that time it's like nine thirty, and then you're you have lunch at like noon. Where did the day go? The day doesn't even exist. <laughs> the day is a bunch of like little tiny time slots that don't matter. Yeah, that is so like, true. It's so annoying to me. So, so the flip side of of you know having the more strict hours that you go into the office and like maybe getting interrupted. The flip side is that you have that camaraderie, right? You know. I, for sure. Yeah, it's it's the people, it's the interaction. I work with a great team of people and I love going in and hanging out and talking and and Yeah. Yeah, and I will say though that working remote, the company that I work for is the best one that I've seen do it. Every single meeting and there's plenty they're all Google Hangouts. So like you basically have to have your webcam on. We have to be able to see you because everybody works remote except for like a core 
team that's in LA. So it's like, you know, that's a great practice. Mm. At first I was like, why is that the case? Like, why can't we just do, you know, other methods of communication in case somebody's out on the road or something on the phone? It's like, but no, that makes a huge difference. Like seeing everybody at a moment's notice, it's basically like being there. Well, yeah, that brings up, it reminds me of a service I, I stumbled upon a while ago that it does that, but for the entire day. So I don't remember the name. We'll have it in the show notes here, but you install this software and it uses your webcam and it literally, it shares, right, the webcam with everybody else in the office. And so even though you're not communicating with each other actively, it still feels like you're in an office with someone because you can see other people working at their computer. That defeats the whole purpose, I think, <laughs> of working from home. Like, I don't want to see that. I don't want them to see me, like, reading, you know, because I'll, I'll, like, take, like, a 10-minute break and, like, read a book. <laughs> You know, and if you did that in office, people would be like, what the hell are you doing? Well, yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting idea. I don't know how I right. would feel about it either, but it, it it's interesting because it, um, it I guess it tries to, to bring that, you know, that community team feeling back into remote work. I think there's a premise that that service is missing. And the premise is people work remote to establish a team feeling on their own time, not on demanded time, right? So demanded time is like, I'm in the office, everybody can see me and everybody can look at me. And that's awesome. And that's cool. And that like, I could immediately at any given moment communicate with the team member when he wants, not when I want. But if I'm working remote, I can still build that relationship with that guy, but I do it on my time and then also on his time. Mm -hmm. So when our times sync, which is very frequent when you are very well adapted at working remote, it's not like a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. Then you build that camaraderie on your own times, both of you. It really changes the the, the paradigm mm -hmm. of hmm. the way that you interact. Yeah, that is interesting. And I, I, I definitely want to experience working remotely, working on a team like that. So we want to talk about kind of one other larger topic today, and that is how to think about advancing your career. So maybe you have a mm -hmm. job and, you know, it's an entry-level job. Where do you go? Like, what do you do next? Yep. I guess my first thought was that you you can start doing the activities for the position that you want. So you could start taking on more responsibility for that next position, right? So so that assumes that you've you've thought about where you want to go next. And I think that having goals is paramount. You have to start with goals. Mm -hmm. You have to know where you want to go. It can still be general, right? So you can web development, have a goal to do that. But then as you get into the industry and you find out what you like and what you don't like, you can focus that towards maybe towards front end or back end or towards a particular technology. Yeah. And you should constantly be refining your goals mm -hmm. as well. It is immensely helpful. If I didn't have goals, I don't, I couldn't accomplish anything. And people might ask, like, what what is the the goal? The goal is just to be a back end web developer or a front end web developer. But I mean, think about it more in terms of you as a person, the listener. Like, you could really love making stuff, mm -hmm. and you could have a goal that you want to be a front end web developer at a nine to five job, but also every weekend make a side project. Mm -hmm. That's a freaking awesome goal. And then one of those side projects might just be an awesome idea that you decide to perhaps pursue further or release on the side and then build up some passive income mm -hmm. or any number of things. Or you're like the complete opposite and you want to be like a freelancer and you want to work for six months out of the year and not work for another six months. Guess what? That's possible mm -hmm. too. Or you want to be like an executive and run a team of developers 
mm-hmm. right? Like all these different goals. So don't think about it just as front end or back end, like really get granular. There's different different types of jobs. Even if you want to do mm-hmm. a nine to five, if you kind of, if you want that security, you can work in a company uh, kind of like what you did, Dane, where, where you, you got to work on different types of projects, right? And so it felt yeah. different. It felt like it was a different job, right? Yep. Even though it was still mm-hmm. nine to five and you had that security, um, it, mm-hmm. it was kind of like a freelance thing. And so that could be a goal as well. Or maybe you want to be a part of a huge project. You know, you want to have your hand building something, you know, massive and that's cool. And that's there too. So yeah, you know, I think there's a lot about understanding yourself and knowing your personality and kind of coming to terms with who you are and like what you're good at and your propensities and like finding a good fit because chances are you'll find a a job that will fit uh, your personality pretty well. For sure. And we also just wanted to mention a few other things that we really think will help you advance your career. One of those is to over-deliver. So there's a clear difference that I see between developers that under-deliver and over-deliver just in the way that they communicate with their manager, the way that the manager communicates with them and sees them and the tasks that they get. And it really comes down to like just spending that extra 20 minutes to to like maybe not perfect, but just really spending that next 20 minutes to refactor that one thing a little bit so that it's more object or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Really spending that extra few minutes, you know, the, the 80, 20 thing. Yeah. It doesn't usually so take it, a lot of extra time to make something, yeah. I mean, to make something excellent. Right. Right. And then also when you're complete, like, so I usually think of features in like the form of prototypes. So when you finish the first prototype of the feature, then obviously you're going to go back and get your testing and everything is going to happen. And then you're going to refine it and refine it a little bit more. And then you're going to notice some things. And then the difference here is you could either let QA figure them out or you could over deliver and go ahead and lock down those things now. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's like a laziness that I see some developers take. And and my point is try to not do that Mm -hmm. Yeah, to the extent possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's something else here too in the back end and in in, in the front end as well. If you're doing a lot of uh, JavaScript and programming on the front end is to make sure you understand logic. You know, we use, we all use logic in, in our day, but you know, that's a different understanding than actually digging in and studying it. I mean, Dane, you know more, you know, probably know about this. Um, do you have like a favorite resource for studying logic? Or, like, how do you approach that? Yeah. In the show notes, we put discrete mathematics um, and its applications is a great textbook. There's a binary logic section. Uh, look up binary logic just regardless. It's really, really useful to look up a couple things. One is what a proof is. How do you prove something? Mm. And I mean, I, a lot of us are like 20-year-old plus adults, and we think we understand how to do it. And mentally we do, intuitively we do, but hearing it all said is very different. So in the Computer Science for Mathematics course that we're going to put in the show notes, he actually talks about proofs in the first episode. So definitely watch the first episode. Um, and then you'll learn about logical reductions and all that sort of stuff. So, so binary logic and, and logic in general is a great thing to study uh, first. And then obviously that ties in with reasoning. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of um, the famous psychologist. Who is that? Uh, the famous psychologist that did all the studies on pretty much everything. Oh, man. Um, I don't know. There's Jung. There's... Um... Freud. Um, yeah, Freud. 
um, so like he has some stuff about reasoning. So, I mean, if you really wanted to get into some of the psychological side, some people do that and they definitely do that a little bit in college. So you have to keep in mind, like, you know, you're foregoing a college curriculum to do this on your own. Mm -hmm. So to shore up some of those, some of those, yeah, it's good to shore up Mm -hmm. some of that stuff that you're not going to get. Yeah. And so, you know, how do you advance your career? You need to be strategic. Your career is your own and you cannot rely on your employer, even though it may be a great company, great people to work for. They're doing their own thing. They're building a product, they're providing a service and that's their thing. And so you have to be a little bit selfish. You have to think about your career Mm -hmm. and where you want to go. Be strategic. Money isn't always the bottom line. Maybe when you're starting out, for sure. You're going to, as a freelancer or whatever, you're going to take every job you can if that's what you need to, you know, survive. But yeah. when, you know, when you're more more stable and you have the option, think about how a job or how a client might help you in your career. So it's about recognizing and, and acting on opportunities. Yeah. And you have to also keep in mind, like, a couple things here. One is once you get to a certain point, after you have a little bit of money in the bank, if you're a freelancer, never accept a client that's not going to push you technically. So don't accept a client unless you need the money where you're not being challenged. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not growing, you're dying. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as plateau. Plateau doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It does. It absolutely, in in, in any industry, it doesn't exist, I don't think. And it's like, you're either growing or dying. Always be growing. And it's challenging, but you're going to feel so much better doing it that way. And the second thing I'll say is don't always accept a client because of the financial aspect. For instance, recently I was in touch with a client that is in the data center business. And then I had a friend of mine who was looking to meet up with somebody in that business. And I had a way to connect them two together, the two of them together. And they they both had mutual understandings of, of things. And I didn't take the client specifically because the industry he was in, I just thought it was a fascinating industry. And I thought, uh, yeah, the money's good and the, the industry is amazing. So I would love to do a project in that space. And lo and behold, because of that, because I wasn't just focusing on money, um, some other things came out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so when you start to focus on more than just the money, um, when you focus on, oh, how fascinating is this to mm-hmm. you? Do you have friends that could benefit from connections in this area? Like when you start connecting people, really magical things start to happen. So definitely start to look at your career as much more than just going up based on money, mm-hmm. right? It goes up based on a hundred different factors. Yeah. That's really that's really good stuff. And that's a good transition into kind of a wrap up for the episode. Next episode, we want to talk about the community, more about the community and networking in the industry. And so we have some questions for you. How do you involve yourself in the web development web development community? If you do that right now, what does that look like? And why do you participate? So we want to hear from you. Please, please let us know. And then do you network right now? Do you network with people for the purpose of getting clients? what's working for you or do you have concerns about that let us know yeah and and if you're just starting out and you're just now starting to follow people on twitter and maybe you found some other people let us know who you follow Mm -hmm. who you like i mean not everybody's going to follow paul and eric and jeff you know those are the people that a lot of us do follow but perhaps you found some other folks definitely let us know in the comments yeah yeah definitely so you can find this show page today at starthere.fm slash webdev 
slash seven. So we want to thank you for listening to today and for all the reviews and all the comments that we receive. We really appreciate that. We love doing this and we love uh, helping you guys uh, move forward with your career. Yeah. And it definitely every time that we get an email or a review, that's somebody telling us that, you know, we were helpful in some way. We just, we feel so validated. You know, I'm sure like the, all the listeners can relate when somebody validates your idea or validates, you know, the help that you're giving or trying to, to give. Um, it's just really nice. So, you know, keep emailing, uh, not just about how much we're helping it because we might not be email us about things that you want us to talk about as well mm-hmm. right yep so have a great uh, have a great week and we will catch up with you next time yep bye bye You can do it easily. No, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) I've been up since 5 o'clock. I feel like I have too, but it's not true. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. (laughs) (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) Welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. I'm Keith Monahan. And I'm Dane Miller. And we're here to... (laughs) I'm sorry, it was just like the loudest creaking in my chair. And it lasted for like 30 seconds.